0: This episode of Slay the Stigma is brought to you by the Richardson Women's Club Charitable Foundation. You can learn more about them at rwctx.org.
1: My name is Deborah Dobbs. I'm the executive director of The Counseling Place, a nonprofit victim advocacy and mental health agency in Richardson, Texas. I see the stigma around mental health as a dragon. It's a dragon that society keeps well fed. That dragon, though, it's hurting people, even killing good people, so we need to get rid of it. Now, you don't do that by addressing it or tackling it. If you want to kill a dragon, you slay it. So welcome to Slay the Stigma. With each episode, we'll dispel myths, we'll challenge perceptions, and offer solutions about mental health. Each episode delivers a powerful strike against the stigma. And we don't intend to stop until that dragon is slain.
0: Hey everyone, it's producer Carson here. I am just popping in because we are trying something a little different with Slay the Stigma. You may have noticed that we've had our own Becca Mullins on to the podcast several times, and that's because she is an incredible co-host to Deborah Dobbs. So we are highlighting the two of them and their conversations, their relationship As they talk about some of the more challenging stigmas just together, the way you would with any friend. So, you're gonna hear Deborah and Becca today talk a little bit about the news surrounding the camp Canacook. If you haven't heard about what happened at Canacook, you are going to. Um, Deborah and Becca talk all about the situation, the reporting around it, and everything that happened, along with the shame. And what happens when we feel responsible for something we didn't do? Another thing to keep in mind we are trying out some new different microphone setups. And unfortunately, this one was not our favorite. A little more compressed audio, but the conversation is just as wonderful. Thanks for listening. So I was telling Carson that I thought, okay, well,
2: that stuff at Kanakuk? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah.
3: But that that part is tricky to me because it's it's not those cases are not limited to obviously we're not limited to religion religious settings because that's why I, like the Larry Nasser gymnastics doctor it's a pattern that happens anywhere that's why that's how therapists can abuse people is because it uses that same power differential the Sandusky yeah. Yeah, coaches. Um, There's also lawyers.
2: Malcolm Gladwell talks about the default to truth mm-hmm. and how we don't want to believe that somebody we've trusted or we've worked with is capable of doing that, and then we just missed it. And I, I can't remember the years that this—I want to call the it bag, was there. But it's quite likely that while I was having a fine time in the girls camp, there was horrific things happening in the boys camp.
3: I think he got arrested in 2001, something
2: like that. Oh, yeah. I was there in 93. I mean, 83. Yeah. And I've seen some. So, so so what happened is I went to Google because mm-hmm. I didn't have the parent portal saved. So I go to Google and I put in Canikah. And then I see all these articles pop up about abuse. And before I had ever enrolled my daughter in the camp, I did look at their safety. You know, what do they do? How do they do it? And they acted very transparent about an incident that had happened and brought it to their attention. And so they, they ramped up their safety and it's a model for other camps and the attorney general endorses it and blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking, okay, well, that's good. Maybe they were one of the few that didn't sweep it under the rug. Yeah. So... Um, These two authors, David and Nancy French, um, really dug in and uncovered that, uh, no, they did not react and respond appropriately. This this guy was allowed to stay on staff after they knew he'd been getting naked with these kids. When I saw that, I, I was just livid. Um, as a mom, as someone who runs a victim advocacy agency and being so aware of the long-term impact sexual abuse has, especially in a setting where they're supposed to be followers of Christ.
3: Yeah. So, where well, there's so much, just a sense of trust. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, and so I discussed it, uh, you know, I gave my daughter enough information for her to make a decision. I didn't want to just yank it out from under her because this past year has been really hard.
3: And she really looks forward to that camp. There's a yeah. lot of good good friendships from there.
2: Yeah. She wrote an essay on it in her English class about being in nature and, oh. and how good it was to just disconnect and be immersed in nature. And So there's this letter they sent out to parents of campers and uh, said that the the journalists and the articles had misrepresented what happened and, and uh, they have no talents for abuse and um, that uh, it wasn't factual. And this happened over a decade ago.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And for me, like it's the fact that it happened over a decade ago is irrelevant when you did nothing to stop it, when you, when you actually facilitated the, the abuse. Yeah, and those same leadership is still there. Yes. Mm-hmm. So if I, I mean, I can't even imagine, I, I, you know, when I came on as executive director, I had a different crew. I inherited a lot of the staff that were there and I called them out for far worse, far that far less. Mm-hmm. And to see that this Joe White just, I mean, if, if there's a video of him. So if we don't think that, you know, if you think this is some op-ed or some, parent of a, of a victim who's abused who
3: maybe doesn't have some objectivity that is not the case no so. i mean it's pretty obvious when you read through their art um, and i didn't even read all the court documents i read one or two but when you read through their research it's it's pretty obvious that they they knew something was going on they knew there was an um conduct going on they had rules in place that's the thing that bothered me is that oh we have this this state-of-the-art child protective program now well it doesn't matter you had rules in the first place when that guy was there he should have been fired because there was already rules in place where you don't get naked with campers imagine that you don't have uh make sexual jokes you don't make do any of those things and if there is any any um incident of nudity you will be fired with no chance of rehiring they already had those rules in place and they didn't fire him he was this model like he went on on the road um, promoting CanaCuk, raising money for CanaCuk. He was like they said in this article. He was the face of CanaCuk for years, even after parents had had told the the director and the founder that they were having naked Bible studies. They could have fired. They had the rules in place to fire him then, and they didn't do it. So why? What? Why would it matter if you have the state of the art? Child protective program, if you don't enforce the rules that you already had, that gives me no confidence in that you will enforce the rules that you have now. Right, right. And I, I
2: can't imagine if, if, if I were to be so negligent and reckless and ignore red flags that I'd still have my job. Mm-hmm. You know, and I shouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just that it's just so vexing, disgusting. So we withdrew her, and I, you know, I, I was going through laundry today and I have a canicapeck shirt I want to mm-hmm. burn it yeah you know I want to have a bonfire with all of the canicapeck paraphernalia yeah. it's just and and for so you know for her it's disappointing and she feels kind of duped like she yeah. you know she trusted these folks to look out for her safety and right okay so so to our knowledge nothing had gone on in the uh, girls camp, I mean, I don't know, but none have come forward. Mm-hmm. It appears to be uh, targeting, you know, the abuse-targeted boys. Boys who tended to
3: stay longer. Yeah, because there's more time to groom them. Carson looked it up, and it, the first complaint was in 1999, and he was arrested or went to jail in two, 2009. So he worked there for 15 years, a good 10 years, when they knew what had gone on it's just awful yeah. but I think that's that's this the tragedy of when it happens in spiritual context I, in my opinion is it's tragic anywhere and it 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 shakes that person's foundation of trust not just for them but for their family too of like we trusted you we thought you were this person that had that was looking out for them and was really taking care of them and then you end up being the abuser that's that's shake earth shattering enough in itself. But when it happens in a spiritual context, it affects your relationship with God and how you see like this man like led them in Bible study and was a supposedly a godly man in this example of a godly character, and then he's doing this to boys. Like that's that's a whole other element of your life that's shaken and that causes issues with trust. And how do I like, if that's what it's supposed to look like to follow God and to be Christ-like, I don't want to have any part of that. There's no, uh-uh, no, I'm done. And so it can really damage someone's spiritual walk because it's so just not not right. Um, so My that, to me, said, that's even, that's really sad. It just exacerbates the, the suffering.
2: Yeah. Um, it takes it into another realm. And my da- that's what my daughter said, and she's like, this is
3: why people don't go to church. Yeah, it is. And that's because that's not, um, just for clarity, that is not what it looks like to follow Christ and to be Christ-like, and what God is calling us to do. Obviously, that is not anything that he would condone. And the fact that the leadership felt like it was okay to ignore those things because he was doing such great work. He was such a, he was just getting so many accolades and so many parents saying that he changed their lives, their kids' lives, and he was leading people to Christ. I don't care. That does not matter. It's not worth it. If he is abusing kids, anything that he does for the the kingdom, supposedly, it's not worth it. Like, that's not part of the bargain, part of the deal. Jesus would not come and look at that and go, oh, okay, it's fine. It's fine. He He can do those things. No. He would not be okay with that.
2: And and who knows if he was really helping the kids. I mean, I, I can you imagine all the second guessing those parents are doing, or at least I hope mm-hmm. they are. Yeah. You know, and 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 how, you know, I I I mean my daughter wasn't victimized, but I feel stupid, mm-hmm. like totally betrayed because I'm in this field and I've seen, you know, 25 years of, of how. Abuse and sexual violence affects people. I know it firsthand, mm-hmm. and I really thought I mean, I'm. <laughs> I've gone from sorrowful to angry. Yeah, I'm so angry. Yeah, and then I sent my daughter to a place that just had like poisoned earth. You know, mm-hmm. it was just poisoned. So I, I see this hits me so hard as a mom and as a victim advocate and mental health you know I say like I'm a mental health enthusiast I'm not a therapist I'm not professional um but I'm I'm definitely mental health enthusiast but I'm just it's just sickening to me um mean, this just came out last week a couple weeks ago Mm -hmm. um this was the end of March and we're in approaching mid-April and I saw this last weekend.
3: Yeah but it's still going on I, and like the responses so they they the French's published their stuff in mid-March and then Canon Cook had a response and now basically denying it and saying that that's not totally accurate and now the French's are um having response to response so it's still it's still ongoing. And I and I appreciate their res- they put
2: links to mm-hmm. court documents there's a or Joe White is asked directly, "Why did you fire this person?" Mm-hmm. And and he's, he's just stammers his way through. So I do like that. That there's, I mean, this is objective reporting. This mm-hmm. is not, you know, skewed. Because there was one um, article where, and this this rubbed me the wrong way, where they're coming down on. It's like the kids uh, come from rich families because. Uh, A lot of the victims would stay there for a month or even two. Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah.
2: I was like, well, what? It doesn't hurt them. It it, it really rubbed me the wrong way. So there was this judgment as if, you know, the kids aren't really victims. Like like they're suffering. Like they're not going to respond the same way. Like it doesn't hurt them as much because they come from money. You know, I mean, that, that was not the French's article. That was somebody else. And that their parents aren't upset, but because I will tell you what, the place, uh, I can see why kids would want to stay there. I mean, when I stay there, food's good, food's great. Most terrible, and they have air-conditioned cabins, and they have new cabins built, and they have all kinds of activities. I think they have scuba camp. I think you can learn to fly there. They have a survival camp. It's it's it is kind of an elite. They call it a sports camp, but um, but you know, it's a nice place to go. So I can see why people would. Want to stay, yeah, you know, or think it's okay for their kids to stay.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's hard for parents. If parents are working, their kid needs a place to stay. They like uh, child yeah. care is difficult in the summer, so why not for a month or two, yeah, if you can afford
2: it. If you can afford it, yeah. But they also have the scholarships and stuff. So they they're a nonprofit, and I believe they are now designated as a church. Hmm. So um, you know, it's kind of pricey for a nonprofit. <laughs> but, but it's just I, it's just um it's really simple. I mean, yeah and um you know and and my and it was it's just hard on on the kids and and honestly I can't imagine anyone sending their kid there I mean it's hard mm-hmm. for me to write around the, the fact that this place is even open after what happened
3: but yeah with the leadership still there that's very
2: troubling they dealt with it properly that'd be one thing but they didn't so 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 we're talking about you know, religion mental health uh, you know the, the the impact of sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, that's another. You
3: know. Yeah. Well, and I kind of want to talk about why, like, how he could get away with it, and why this seems to happen a lot in religious settings. It's not, like I said before, it's not exclusive to religious settings by any means. It could be so. The whole grooming process, what he did um, to get, gain access to these kids, this happens all the time. You saw, you mentioned Sandusky. So coaches, chiropractors, doctors, the Larry Nassar, the Olympic gymnast, gymnastics doctor, Larry, um, these things, people who are in a position of power and trust where like their vocation is kind of built in with trust. Like we just assume that if you're a doctor, then you want to help people. If you're a pastor, then you're, you want to help people. That's why else would you go into that role? Oh, godly. Yeah. So those those positions that come with some sense of trust um people can get into those for the wrong reasons um and they can use that misuse that trust um to groom and to gain access to um their um to kids or i guess to adults too but mostly mostly happens to kids um and that's what he did that's that's why you i don't know that's why he became a counselor but that's that's how he got access to kids um and it, it's hard because I've been through a sexual abuse training awareness training where where they taught you about grooming um and the behaviors to watch for the red flags to watch for and it is hard because in a lot of ways it looks like at least like in the ministry context it looks like a youth minister or a youth adult worker who just really likes kids, who's just really good at his job. And that's what, that's what they said about this guy. He was just so good at his job. He loved kids, loved big brown kids. But if you really look at it, you'll notice that it's too much. Yeah. Like the, it was interesting. The restrictions they had, they had to put on him was like, you're only allowed to have three Bible studies a week. No more one-on-one sleepovers. You can only go to lunches, like, once a week you have to spend so much time with your family and And it's like if you have to put these those kind of rules on somebody something is wrong yeah like you can love kids and want to invest in kids but we like normal normal level people have their limits you're not going to spend every waking minute with with teenagers that's weird you need time with your peers you need time with your family so those are the kind of things like yes he may be good at his job but there's a point when it becomes too much. And those are the kind of the red flags. The other thing was he, one of the victims talked about that after curfew one night, he was asleep in his cabin. It was past curfew and the guy came came and got him and, and took him out for the for the evening. And he thought it, he was a special kid. And that's yeah. how they do it. They, they pick kids out, usually the ones that are on the margins, the ones that are kind of um, excluded or have have um I don't know some sort of need they're looking for like sometimes it's the kids who have single parents um and they need they're looking for another role model or they're looking mm-hmm. for someone that really cares about them. And so they're good at spotting that. So they they pick those kids out and they they bring them closer um to and treat them as special and give them special privileges. So for the kid it's cool. Like I'm I get to spend one on one time with this guy that everybody loves. This is really cool. Well, what they did when they went out is they went, uh, I think at least in this instance that he was talking about, they went and rode on a golf, he, got, he let the kid drive a golf cart. Golf I think they were probably naked at the time um, and did something else that was against the rules. So for the kid, it's like, oh, this is cool. Um, I get to do these things that nobody else is allowed to do. It also puts them in a bind because if they, um, if they tell on that, the adult, they also get in trouble because they were breaking rules. Right. So the, the training that I went to said that you'll see a lot, especially with boys, that they'll take them on like a camping trip and they'll smoke or they'll drink with the kid. And it's, again, it's cool for the kid, but if he tells on, tells on this guy, he's going to get in trouble too, because he was drinking. And so they put him in this bind where, um, either they don't want to say it because they feel special. They want that treatment to continue, or they don't want to say it, say anything because they're going to get in trouble. Um, so those are the type of behaviors that you watch for and that you see. Okay, this is a little odd. Um, this is this is goes beyond just caring about kids um, into weird and red flags and it just makes you a, a little uneasy. Even when um,
2: I remember being a teen, and um, it was always weird when older. It, it might be people that already graduated and they would come back around like after school that just always felt weird to me and so I I I don't know why it just it's like why are you hanging around with teens you know are you having trouble letting go but it always kind of gave me a weird vibe and and I remember telling my daughter that when when people um that are quite a bit older than you want to hang out with kids your age just just have a healthy level of skepticism yeah um, and there may be a good reason for it, but I'm not comfortable with it mm-hmm. and um, and so it's just but you would think you're running a camp or a youth program, then you should be on high alert to that. Yeah so I've seen this happen um, in a community uh, a community closer to home and, and the denial. Mm-hmm. Um, for people in leadership positions to recognize these glaringly off the signs, because, because I think that they've associated with a person and so then they feel like they're guilty too, or they're going to, you know, there is as, as bad as this person. Mm-hmm. And they, you,
3: you know one, what I mean? Yeah. One, well, usually the perpetrator doesn't just groom the kid. They're also grooming the caretakers. So yes. they're, they're, uh I was going to say sucking up. I don't know if that's the right term, but they, they want to present themselves as I am the model adult for your kid. And I, I am someone that you really want to be, want me to be around your kid. Um, They talked about when this, because this guy would go traveling on behalf of the camp to fundraise and to promote the camp. And families would like, I don't know, argue or compete over who got to host this guy. Because he was like the model person that you, again, you wanted your kids to be around and with that celebrity so status. Yeah, and so it's it's uh he's not just grooming kid; he's grooming the adults too. And so so that whenever an accusation comes up, it seems so far out of out of the realm of possibilities. Like there's no way he's such a good guy. Um, he's not going to present himself as a sleazebag because then you wouldn't let your kid around him he presents himself as this really good godly man. Um, and that's why I think, again, it is hard to believe part of it is because of truth bias that you were talking about earlier, that we, it's, it messes with our brains when things, there's like this cognitive distortion um, when things aren't the way that we thought they were. It kind of, it just is really uncomfortable. Um, so we try to, we give the benefit of the doubt. We, we bias towards what we want want it to be um and there's also the grooming that that's how he presented itself himself and so we don't want to believe that we've been duped yeah
2: i'd say i'm very i'm struggling with that i mean i didn't know anything about this stuff uh but you're i think when you're in a field like you're in a mental health field especially you work with trauma or you're in law enforcement social work you you, you have a it could be cynicism about people Um, definitely skeptical about people and so if you're not in that field I think you're maybe a little more susceptible to being duped Mm -hmm. because and we are taught you know you're not you you try to especially if you're in a religious organization you're taught to love and to be compassionate and and not to judge people and 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 my
3: ministers really are set on a pedestal like Oh, these are professional Christians, so they must be really good. Um, I think we're losing some of that, thankfully, for good and bad, because there's so much going on. We're a little bit more skeptical of ministers, but I think that does go along with the position of their a little bit elevated status, which is dangerous. Right.
2: We you're talking about how prevalent it is. It's uh, we also see it in reform schools. Um, Academies for kids that had some behavior issues or problems and parents are at their wits end and they send them there or within the criminal justice system when I first it was probably the first within the first month of my taking the position of executive director this man showed up and we've had a relationship with the original executive director where you know if there was a kid who maybe was single parent home and kind of neglected he liked to mentor Mm -hmm. and he mentored a couple kids at the ages before Mm -hmm. um and he even offered if i had any you know candidates in our youth programs who might want to do that he could if transportation was an issue he could also drive them Mm -hmm. And um, he left my office and I just got on the phone with an investigator at the DA's office who I knew had, was suspicious about the guy too. And the suspicions had been addressed before and raised and shot down because he, was, he had some status in the community mm-hmm. and he was given that status by people who I think didn't want to admit that they'd made a mistake. And so the thing it never go went anywhere. At one point, you know, there was even a victim that was thinking about talking, but this guy had gone on trips with one boy, you know, mm-hmm. gone out of state with this kid mm-hmm. who was, I don't know, 13 years old. Um, and this has gone on for years.
3: Mm-hmm. for Years.
2: And 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 so it's it's really frustrating for me that I mean with, with this thing with Canada, like, I don't think people are denying it. Yeah. But I think too often people do.
3: Mm-hmm. Or they, I mean, we just, we trust people. And so Canada came out and said, we have this state-of-the-art uh, child protective program. It's a leading in the nation. We, we're training other people. Like we've, we've changed our ways. We have beefed up our system to keep your children safe. Well, you want to believe that. And again, they're a Christian organization. They should be telling the truth. Yeah. And I mean, that is true. They have beefed up their system. But the fact that the old system, they should have fired him using the old system and mm-hmm. they didn't. And people don't know that. Right. They just think, okay, so you didn't have adequate rules in the first place. And so now you do have an adequate system. So my kids should be safe. But that's, so we want to believe that, but that's not, not really, in my opinion, that does not help me at all. Because the same people are in charge. And so if you ignore the old rules, you're going to ignore the, these rules. Um, but that's when you're just reading a letter from the organization. That's not what you see.
2: Right. And and if and I don't know how many parents got the letter from them in response to the articles and just took it at face value. Mm-hmm. Because I'm not. And because there's just an overwhelming amount of evidence that supports the claims. And that they got convicted. You know, he got like two life sentences.
3: He confessed to it. He's oh, guilty. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So there's no, it's, it's not some type of, you know, invented scandal and it's a, a way to tarnish the image of Kanika. And they did that all on their own.
3: Yeah. Well, and that's the sad part about um, just like what we're talking about where we, victims come forward and they're not believed. Um, uh, yeah. That's the that's really sad part about um, sexual assault cases is that happens all the time, whether it's a minister, a doctor, a family member. So often, unfortunately, majority of the time, a victim comes forward and says, this person did this to me, and the person, whoever they're telling doesn't believe them. Oh, that can't, that can't possibly be true. There's no way. And I, I don't, and I don't know why. It's just, I guess it's just so jarring to think that someone could do that to somebody else that we don't, it's really uncomfortable. We don't want to, we don't want to deal with that reality. And so we would rather... Um, deny it or stick our head in the sand or do something else and push push, put ourselves as far away from that as we can Um, and unfortunately that that just makes the victim even more victimized and pushes them further away.
2: Yeah something that you said just clicked for me it's just an idea Um, because we talk about shame you know the the shows our our podcast called Slay the Stigma and you know there's such a stigma attached to um, victims of sexual abuse and crime itself and um and then you know go back to the book I'm, I'm reading about mm-hmm. shame
3: mm-hmm.
2: and I hope I can present this you know in a, in a, in a way that makes sense but I, when people w- we should talk about shame resilience and something bad happens mm-hmm. okay like for instance let's say you, you are in a position where you have put this predator you know in not knowing you didn't know but you you did it you know you, so I think it's I think there's a shame on the person yeah. who indirectly facilitated the abuse. Mm-hmm. And the uh, somewhat natural reaction is to go, uh uh, no, no, no. Mm-hmm. Instead of owning it mm-hmm. and reaching out to others um, and apologizing. But, but you have to take some ownership, even though you didn't mean to. Yeah. You know, yeah. It was an, it, 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 there was no malice. Um, oh, it wasn't intentional. Right. You but once you were made aware, you, you took the right action, but there's still, I think, maybe there's a shame aspect to that, which means, you know, where you're, the person's afraid that, uh, well, that means I'm a bad, like for me,
3: mm-hmm.
2: it means I'm a bad mom, because I sent my child to this camp that, okay, that I didn't have in the evidence of any wrongdoing there, this perpetuation of abuse. I mean, I don't know anything about that. But I think the first reaction I had was I felt ashamed because I had trusted them and and I had made I had sent my daughter somewhere where some horrible things had gone on and had been allowed to go on and I wonder how much that has to do with you know in the Sandusky p- case other people were made aware of this and they were like no nah, that's just or that's just uncle so and you know yeah uh, so
3: <sighs> yeah I think there is a shame element I hadn't thought about it in that way but yeah. And shame causes us to hide. As uh-huh. We um, we don't we don't like that feeling of shame. And shame tells us you're a terrible person. You're broken. You're messed up. You did. It. You are terrible. Not You did a terrible thing, but you are bad. And so it causes it. And if you tell anybody else, then they're going to see who you really are. Not this facade that you put on, but you, they're going to see who you really are. Um, and it tells us those lies that causes us to hide um, or to deny it. Um, so yeah, I think that it'd be a reaction to shame and it's just so messy. Like if I'm going to, if, if so, say my daughter is telling me that my, my brother, her uncle has abused her. Well, for me to go and accuse my brother of, of abusing her, that's going to get messy real quick. And there's going to be a huge fallout and a whole, it just spirals and snowballs before you know it. So, so I think that is another element too, of if we do this life is never going to be the same again. Yeah. And we should, and it, you should absolutely believe that person and do something about it. But I understand also that it's, it's a lot. There's a lot of change, a lot of emotion that happens all at once.
2: Yeah. I mean, your whole world is going to be rocked.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And if you have an institution, the institution's going to get rocked, but you also have the opportunity to do right and gain trust and, and, and foster community
3: instead. It's absolutely worth it to, to respond, um, and to do the right thing and to, to come alongside a victim. Um, we should be doing that. Um, but for whatever reason, too often people don't.
2: So there's a website, um, because I know there's lots of people that have gone to camp Mm -hmm. and I think it's a facts about Canica. Yeah, I think so. And they're encouraging, victims to come forward what they're trying to do is get these non-disclosure agreements lifted because you know some of the victims uh, didn't really want to sign them and you're dealing with a family who's been through a trauma up against a corporation that has lawyers devoted to this case mm-hmm. uh, i know some people said well they you you know they got their settlement and that's just part of the deal but criminal cases wear people down Mm -hmm. and you have a prosecutor that you're not paying you know this isn't actually in addition to all the emotional strain it's not affecting you maybe not directly with legal fees Mm -hmm. in these cases I think people assume that attorneys are going to take it all on contingency and that's a huge assumption but they just underestimate the toll and so people want the pain to end yeah. And they might sign this non-disclosure agreement or they, they resist it. And, you know, the powers that come down on them and make it really hard
3: on them. And they just, again, you can't heal if you're immersed in this trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sexual assault is a very intimate crime, obviously. So the last thing you want to do is day to day, continue talking about it and dealing with it and be- being confronted with. But what you want to do is move on from it and never have to think about it again. So so yeah, you get exhausted from having these conversations. You just want it to end however that can happen.
2: And they said uh, it
3: was to protect the confidentiality of the victims. Yeah, you don't need an NDA to protect the confidentiality of the victims. NDA is protecting the organization, not the victims.
2: Yeah. And and I think the victims can decide if they want to talk or not. Mm-hmm. You know, and you're just putting a gag order on them and and again with the shame. You know, uh, not talking about it mm-hmm.
3: just keeps shame alive mm-hmm. Yeah, and the silence beats it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you have a choice when you're confronted with shame. Um, when you have that feeling, you can either believe the lies and go into hiding and try to hide it, which is what they did um, and do whatever you can to, to hide it. Or you can say, no, that's not true. We're going to talk about it. And as hard as that is, we're going to choose to do the right thing talk about it and to, to really make amends for what happened.
0: Thank you so much for listening to Slay the Stigma. If you'd like to read the article by David and Nancy French, you can find that at their website, The Dispatch. You can also find out more information at factsaboutcannacook.com. And if you are someone you know or the victim of any sort of sexual abuse, harassment, anything, Please reach out to us at the counseling place or another agency near where you are. We are here to help and you are not alone.
1: Thank you for listening to Slay the Stigma. By taking what you've learned today, implementing it, and sharing it, you too are helping us hack away at this dragon. If you like what you're hearing and you want to support our work slaying the stigma, You can donate to the Counseling Place at our website, counselingplace.org, or you can give by texting CP Slays to 41444. I'm Deborah Dobbs, and thanks for joining us.